Welcome to the Redeemer Podcast. For more information about Redeemer Church, visit makingmuchofjesus.org. We hope you enjoyed the talk and invite you to visit us next Sunday at either our 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. service. I almost titled my sermon today, A Long Time Ago in a Galilee Far, Far Away. But I just couldn't do it. Couldn't bring myself to be that cheesy. Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at the wise men and the star and our Savior. But what we've been looking at so far in the great Christmas story, this Advent season, we began in Zephaniah 3. And how Zephaniah the prophet tells us that God sings over his people. We always talk about the angels singing and our singing and the shepherds. And, but we see in Zephaniah 3 that God sings. When the Lord our God, it says, is in our midst and he is mighty to save. And he says, and I will exult over you with loud singing that God rejoices to save sinners like us. And then we looked at John chapter 1. And how in John chapter 1, the word became flesh. The eternal son of God dwelt among us. And that from his mega personality, from the essence of who Jesus is, we have received, as John 1.16 says, grace upon grace. Now he is, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. And then last week in Matthew chapter 1, we looked at how the whole message of Christmas and the whole message of Christianity and the entire banner over the Christian life is actually embedded into the matrix code of Jesus' name. Why he's named Jesus, Matthew 1 says, the angel told Joseph, and you shall name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This is why he's named Jesus. This is why he came. This is why he died and why he rose and why he's being talked about all around the world every single Sunday and every single day because God saves. That's what Jesus' names, names mean. God saves. And today we look at Matthew chapter 2. And since these words come to us today in the very authority of the resurrected Christ, let's stand together in the honor of the reading of his word. In beginning in verse 1, the Spirit says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, 
and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Let's pray together. Holy Father, now, would you help us? Would you help us to see and to enjoy and to rejoice with exceedingly great joy in our great God and Savior, in your Son, Jesus Christ? Help us, Lord. We've all gathered here today for varying reasons, and you know them all. Some are here because we long to worship Jesus. Some are here because our family's here. Some are here because it's Christmas time. So, Lord, would you do a work in all of our hearts by your Spirit, through your Word? Do only what you can do, Lord. And it's in your mighty Son's name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You know, Christmas shopping can be super easy and super enjoyable and pain-free if you know these two words. And I'll give these two words to you, and they will make your Christmas shopping so easy. Not this year. It's too late. If it's the 20th, you haven't gotten started, you're in big trouble. But next year, remember these two words, okay? And you'll be fine. Amazon Prime. <laughs> Free two-day shipping. You can get it all done. I haven't walked into a single store this year, and I'm, I'm great. Because you know what you're looking for. So it's just easy to do. It makes it so easy. It's great shopping. Christmas shopping is so easy if you know what you're looking for. It's incredibly difficult if you don't know what you're looking for. This is why every husband and every wife should say, here's exactly what I want. And I saw some men already shaking their heads, yes, amen, thank you. And this is really true in all of life. When you're, everything's a lot easier if you know what you're looking for. That's why U2 says, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And when you're sta staring in the pantry, you're hungry. You open the pantry, you're looking you're like, I don't even know what I'm looking for. You shut it, you come back like five minutes later, like something new is going to be there. Maybe something else is there. Fridge, grocery shopping, or you're driving somewhere, looking for landmarks. If you know what you're looking for, it's way easier. And this is true at Christmas. This is true right now, these seconds. If you know what you're looking for, Christmas makes sense. The Atheist Organization of America put up a big billboard, I think in North Carolina. And it had Santa on the billboard, and it said, it said, go ahead and skip church this year and be good for goodness sake. Happy holidays. And it was on The View, and I usually watch The View, um, <laughs> the YouTube clip of them, and they're talking about it. And they're like, yeah, you know, that's kind of the point of religion. Just be good. So who cares whether you're Buddhist, Hindu, Muslim, you know, Christian, it's all about being good. So that's what it's about. And Candace Cameron Burr, who's, who's a believer, she was on the show. She was like, no, that's, I, that's not what it's about. It's about grace through faith. And Raven and Joy Behar both went, what? They were shocked and stunned that Christianity is actually about grace through faith. I wonder if we're gathering here today, if we know these things, if we know what we're looking for, why we gathered. Do we gather here just to be good for goodness sake? Because I'm going to fail for sure. Did we gather to enjoy the risen Christ? That we can accomplish by the Spirit. The, the Magi, we need to take a page from the Magi. They were looking for Jesus. So are you looking for Jesus? Look at verse 2. 
the wise men appeared, this is the, the word magi, we'll talk about them in a second more specifically, they came from the east to Jerusalem, the capital city of Israel, saying, where is he? They're looking for him. Are you looking for him? Did you come here today? I want to sing about him. I want to enjoy him. I want to hear about him. I want to celebrate him together. You know, these wise men, we don't know how many there are. Our nativity sets and stories and our songs show three. The Bible doesn't say that. We, only, we assume three often because three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, which you can get some of that on Amazon Prime, I'm, I'm sure. Um, maybe not the gold bullion, but you can get frankincense and myrrh. And the Bible tells us they actually didn't even arrive at the nativity. If you look at verse 11, where did they arrive? And going into the house. So they're no longer where the cattle are lowing. They're, they're now in the house. And Jesus is at least a month old by now. The journey of the wise men, they probably came from Babylon or, or Persia and that neck of the Middle East because of their fascination with astronomy, which we'll talk about more in a second. That journey would have taken about 40 days, 30 to 40 days depending how old these guys are, how fast they would have traveled, how many breaks they took, assuming they saw his star, they got their stuff together, they got their, you know, atlases and maps and all their food and trinkets and their frankincense bottles, and then they packed up and left 30 to 40 days. Now, these wise men, the magi, these are incredible people to be included in the Bible story. These guys would have been totally despised, rejected, and frowned upon by any good Israelite. Because these guys were astronomers. They were students of the stars, students and scholars studying the rhythm and the constellations and the planets and their alignment and documenting all these things. They were scholars of the sky. But also in the first century, to be an astronomer, you were also an astrologer. You're also looking for messages in the sky, trying to deduce the meaning and the message of all these alignments and luminary bodies. So they're minding their own business, doing their astronomy, doing their astrology. And by God's grace and his providence, he sent them a message. He met them on their turf and delivered a message to these astronomers and astrologers, the king of the Jews has been born. It's fascinating. How did they know this? They show up in Jerusalem, meet with Herod, and what do they say in verse 2? Where is he? Like, like they probably know. Like, hey, you guys, where is he? Where's the one? Who? Who has been born king of the Jews. And why are they so interested? For we saw his star. They saw something new. This new thing in the sky. They saw it. This is about the king of the Jews. Let's go to the capital city of Israel, Jerusalem, and we've come to worship him. They walk in. They meet with the king. Matthew just introduced us to two kings, Herod and Jesus. Herod's the king for this little span. Jesus is the span for eternity. And I love that the Magi walk in, meet with the king of Israel, and say, we're looking for that, uh, the new king of the Jews. You, Herod? Oh, yeah, you're the old guy. We're looking for the new guy. We don't want to meet with you. We want to meet with the baby. Where is the baby? They saw his star when it rose. So they noticed something new in the sky that led them to go to Israel. And they interpreted its meaning. How they did this, their fascination, I don't know. Maybe they were familiar with the Hebrew scriptures. Maybe they were fascinated with any religion that talks about the skies, as an astronomer or an astrologer would do. 
And maybe they were familiar with Numbers 24, 17. Since Israel was exiled in Babylon, maybe they had some, some copies of the Torah laying around. And in Numbers 24, 17, Balaam prophesies, a star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter, a, a ruler, a king shall rise out of Israel. So maybe they're like, whoa, they're putting all this together. The star, we see it. It's over the land of Jacob. It's, it's the scepter. Let's go. Guys, this star, like always, like always, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. This star is one of the great phenoms and miracles in the scriptures. And we kind of read it and go, oh, it's kind of cool. It's pretty cool. No, it's amazing. I mean, we sing about it, star of wonder, star of night, star with royal beauty, bright westward leading, still proceeding what? Guide us to thy perfect light. Take us somewhere. And there have been tons of articles and books and speculations about what this thing could have been. Was it the alignments? This is one of the more popular theories. I think the nativity story, that the movie takes this angle. Was it the alignments of Jupiter and then Venus and the star Regulus kind of coming together and making this bright kind of super-looking star? That's one guess. And we shouldn't get nitpicky about, no, Matthew called it a star. No way it could have been Jupiter. Well, Matthew doesn't know Jupiter's name at the time, okay? So you, that doesn't mess up any biblical story. And that word star is big enough to account for any luminary body. It could have been a comet, some other wonder. Some guys think maybe it was an angel because the star moves. Look at verse 9. When they saw when it rose, the same one they saw, and it rose again, and it came to rest over the place where the child was. It led them to the house. It was enough to where they could see it. The star is now pointing right there. So what is this? Fascinating. Some people think Nova, supernova. There's actually a new book that came out this year called The Christ Comet, where he makes the compelling case using first century comet records, using ancient Chinese comet records, using Babylonian and Persian kind of constellation patterns, that this was a particular comet that showed up to the wise men over, you know, there in the east, look in the west, there it is, hanging out over Israel. And then when they arrived, the comet's still there. And its tail would have been streaking across the sky because you can walk out and it sees they saw it again. So it had to be the same star, verse 9. And behold, the star that they had seen, so same one, when it rose, went before them until it came to rest. So it's kind of moving and kind of frozen, it looks like. This guy in this book, it's a massive book. I totally encourage you to buy it. It's really neat. He, the artist says, I think it looked, ended up something like this. With this comet streaking across the sky, with the way its tail would have been and the brightness, and I mean, uh, there's no fog, there's no industrial smog, there's no industrial lights like we have, so this thing would have been super bright. I mean, this is a picture of Halley's Comet, I think back in the 80s. And so something like that, pointing right at the house of Jesus. I mean, I, I knew nothing about comets before this week. I knew one thing. There's one named Halley. That, that's all I knew about comets b before. So I'm, I'm reading this and thinking, okay, well, where'd the comet go? They saw it, and then they took this 40-day journey. Where is it? Did they lose it in the clouds? Could it still be visible? It, it's not like a shooting star where it's like, well, oh, missed it, gone. That, that's not how comets operate. 
This one leads him to the house. And I actually studied some about Haley's Comet this week. In 1910, this guy took photos of Haley's Comet from Diamond Head, Hawaii, beginning in April all the way to June, still visible. So a three-month span, he could look out and see there's the comet. Smaller, and then bigger, 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 and then smaller, smaller, smaller. And remember, the Magi's journey took 30 to 40 days. So plenty of time for this comet to still be in that area and to get really large over the house of Jesus and point them right to them. So why am I geeking out about this? Because this shows that God has engineered the universe to magnify Jesus Christ. God has engineered the universe because this is not, an angel would have been easy. Eh, let's just send an angel. Done. Easy. Shepherds got the easy one. The Magi got the one that is thousands and thousands and thousands of miles away, lurching, screaming forward towards the earth, showing them, here's where Jesus is going to be born, and then pff, gone. Because God is committed to making much of his son. And we should marvel at God creating these majestic neon signs for himself to show us that Christ is Lord. And I love that the Magi say we saw his star. His star. This is, it wasn't like some other thing. No, it was his. Not yours, Herod's. It's not just the skies. We saw his star for all things were created through him and to him and for him, as Colossians says. God orchestrated the galaxy to point these men to Jesus. And even right now, God is orchestrating and moving and shaping events in your life to point you to his son. Comment number one is that you are here today. And you are hearing the light of the world preached from the word. God is moving things in your life to bring you to his son right now. And if you'll look, you'll see. The Magi knew who they were looking for, and nothing was going to deter them. Look at, look at verse 2 again. Where is he? We want to see the king of the Jews. We're not here to see Herod. We're not here to see any other ruler. We're here to see the one whose star rose. Let us hear, where is he? So take a page from the Magi. You should be asking this morning, where is he? Are you looking for him? Do you want to behold him? We hear echoes of Moses. Show me your glory. I want to see you. Do you want him? The Savior, the Lord. You can ask it another way. It, does the presence of Jesus, does the geolocation of Jesus matter to you? Is it significant to your life? I mean, think, where has Jesus been? So let's think about it. Where is he? Where, where has he been? Do you think that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary and, and laid in a manger? Where has he been? Do you think he walked atop Israel's soil, teaching, healing, living a sinless life? Where has he been? Do you see him placed on a blood-stained Roman cross with a sign above his head, King of the Jews? Crucified at a place called Golgotha for your sins, dying to pay for them in full. Where is he? Did you see him dead, cold, lifeless, laying in a borrowed tomb? Where is he? Do you see him? Do you echo the words of Mary on Easter morning when she thinks she's talking to the gardener? Where is my Lord? Where have you laid him? Where is he? 
And so by faith, do you see him risen? Risen indeed. And where is Jesus right now? Where is he? By faith, you can look beyond the clouds and you can see him sitting at the Father's right hand, reigning and ruling and upholding the universe by the word of his power, indeed interceding for his people and inviting all sinners to come and believe in him and have their sins forgiven and have eternal life. So I ask you, where is he? And how you answer that question reveals your eternity. Where is he right now? Is he a pile of bone dust in some borrowed Jerusalem grave? Or is he at the Father's right hand? Even us Christians, because Christians, we believe that he's risen indeed. Those of us who believe that he died in our place for our sins, even at Christmas, do we know what we're looking for? It's easy for us to forget. It's easy for us to get distracted. And it's easy for us to kind of just kind of give into a cultural Christmas. And it, we should enjoy gifts and enjoy presents, enjoy great food, enjoy family, all of that, yes. But it should never, ever minimize the greatness of Christ. It's easy for us to forget, easy for us to get frustrated. But let's remember what we're looking for, Christ the Lord. That Christ is Lord of all. So learn from the Magi and learn why they were looking for him. Some of us were looking for him, but we're looking for him for different reasons. Why were they looking for him? They were looking to worship him. Look at verse 2 again. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we've come to interview him. No. We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to ask some things of him. No, we've come to worship him. Are you looking to worship Jesus Christ? This is the essence of Christianity, to worship Jesus. Is this why you came to church today? I want to worship Jesus. What are you looking for? You looking for a better life? How to be a good person? Looking for inner peace. I mean, that's why I came. Looking for a sense of spirituality. If that's why you're here today, I'm glad you're here. But those reasons reveal you, you don't understand who Jesus really is and what he came to do. He did not come to improve our lives. He came to give us new life. He came to give us new life in him. Forgiveness from all of our sins, believing in his death for our sins, and now we get eternal life. He did not come to give us a sense of righteousness. He came to give us his righteousness. He did not come to give us a sense of morality. He came to give us a sense that he is the Messiah and that we need him to be our Savior. If that's why you're here, you get Jesus. If you came for another reason, we have to understand Jesus is not a, he's not a means to an end. Jesus isn't religious hopscotch to some other prize. He is the reward. His kingdom, salvation with him, eternity with him, new life in him. This is the essence of what it means to be a Christian. Jesus isn't simply an end to something else. I want peace, 
So I'll go to Jesus. I'm white. Going to a mosque would be weird. I grew up in the Bible Belt. I had Christian parents. I don't, you know, Buddhism would be kind of strange for me. So I'll, I'll check out the Christian thing. I want a better life, so I'll go to Jesus. That, that's all usury. That's what I did in middle school. There was a kid down the street, a couple of years younger than me. He had every video game system imaginable. And every video game for every system imaginable. They were loaded. So I hung out, as his, I hung out with him all the time. I went to his house almost every day. We were not friends. I couldn't stand to be around him. I was a punk little kid, and I loved to play his games. I did not enjoy him. And one guy after the first service asked me, did you make amends with him? I'm like, no, I don't even remember his name. <laughs> I was a punk. I used him. I didn't enjoy him. I used his stuff. And yet, you might be treating Jesus the same way. You want what he gives, but you don't want him. You want all the gifts, but not the giver. You want what he offers, but man, Jesus is just kind of a drag. Listen, everyone has a motive for what they do. You have a motive for why you're here today. There's a reason you came. So what's your reason? I'm supposed to, you know? I mean, it's, it's Christmas time, so holly jolly, happy new year, let's, you know, church, why not? Okay, but why? Why come? Well, the birth of Jesus, you know? Okay, yeah, lots of people are born. I don't go to church on their birthdays. So, so, so why? Yeah, but he's Jesus Christ. I mean, he's, you know, Virgin Mary, and he's got songs about him, all that good stuff. Okay, now, now we're starting to get somewhere. Listen, friends, if Jesus' birth and his life and his death and his resurrection nudges you to be here today, Open, you, you open up your heart and your life and your mind. Just, you're, you're opening up enough to, to kind of be here today. Why not, why not give him all of you? If he's enough to move you here today, he is enough to open up your whole life to him. I'm not even saying you should be here every Sunday. That's what I'm saying. We'd love to have you here every Sunday. What I am saying is go beyond just 52 days a year. Why not every day of your life, the essence of your life? If, if he's not enough for your whole life, he's not enough for today. Listen, I'm only here because I believe Jesus is alive, that he died and rose again for my sins. If Jesus is a pile of bone dust, he's not alive, this is a lame thing to be doing. I'd much rather be at home watching Christmas Vacation. But since Jesus is alive, since Jesus was born on the Virgin Mary, since Jesus did suffer, crucified, buried, raised, returning, this matters. So now I want to come and worship Jesus. And I want you to come and worship Jesus. Because right now, we are either following in the footsteps of the Magi, or we are more like Herod, the scribes, and the priests. Herod, the scribes, and the priests, they all heard the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. The Magi heard the same thing. Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. So what did they do? Look at verse 3. When Herod heard this, that this is new king, the star, these Magi come to worship him, what did Herod do? He rejoiced. No, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people. So he's gathering his kind of brain squad. What's going on here? They told him, verse 5, the Christ will be born in Bethlehem of Judea, for it's written by the prophet Micah 5. 
And you of Bethlehem and the land of Judah, by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for you shall come a ruler. That's terrifying to Herod. Another ruler, maybe the ruler's been born. And what does this ruler do? He will shepherd my people. This is not a ruler who rules with a fist of iron. This is a ruler who leads with a shepherd's staff, who leads with a cross, who leads with an empty tomb, who leads with his voice. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, asked them, okay, when's it going to be born? When did you see the star? And he, look at verse 8. He tells them, go and search diligently for the child. When you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. So the Magi said back in verse 2, we have come to worship this newborn king. Herod says, hey, I want to worship him too. Is that true? Of course not. Herod wants to kill him, which is why in the middle, beginning in verse 13, all the way down to verse 18, Herod kills all the baby boys born in Bethlehem, two years old and younger. So he says, I want to worship him too. But he doesn't. The Magi say, I want to worship him, and they do. Same words. Different motives different reasons, different drives. So we've got to look at this and go, what's driving me this Christmas? You've got to get down into the essence of your heart. You've got to remove all the fakeness. You've got to remove all the tradition. You've got to remove all the, this is what I do, what I do, and get down to the real you. What is your reason for being here today? Is it to worship Jesus? To respond and worship and enjoy who Christ is? Or maybe it's like Herod, to look like you want to worship Jesus. Family comes to church, so I do. Maybe you came today honestly to see if Jesus, see if he'd save you. To see if he would welcome you in. And if you want Jesus to save you, he will. If you will believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved from your sins. And for us believers today, the Magi are examples to me and to all of us to have a complete resolve to worship Christ and Christ alone. Nothing would deter them from finding Jesus, and they were going to worship him. They were willing to go to great lengths, walk miles, sacrifice time and comfort, offer great treasures to worship King Jesus. If only more Bible Belt Christians would be like these Babylonian Middle Eastern astrologers. You don't hear that very often in church. I wish we were more like Middle Eastern astrologers who would sacrifice and have a resolve to worship King Jesus. They've traveled miles, months to go and worship him. And yet some Christians are just too tired. It's raining. We're busy. We need some time at home. Look, I get there are some circumstances, whatever, but when it just becomes a casual, eh, it's no big deal, you have forgotten the glory of Christ. He has ceased to become amazing to you, and he's become boring to you. And when Jesus has become boring to you, you have lost reality. Not just your misunderstanding of Jesus. No, you've lost the reality. You've lost sense of the entire universe and what the universe is all about. Him. 
the God bending and creating and sending a comet to magnify Jesus Christ. This is who Jesus is, resolved to worship him. And maybe you're thinking, I don't know. I just don't feel like the kind of person that Jesus would want. I mean, sure, I mean, sure, Jesus wants, you know, people like you. Does he really want people like me? Think about the first people to come and worship Jesus in Matthew. Who were the first people to worship him? Not Jews. Not the in crowd. Not Herod, not the scribes, not the priests. They were near, but they were far off. It's those who were far off that get brought near. It is the magi, these Gentiles, these people who had been despised and discounted by the religious elite. It is those are the ones that God brings in to his son. And this is so true in our day. The Bible Belt is haunted with cultural Christianity. Tons of religious privilege, tons of knowledge of Bible stories, and yet it's our area that is almost the farthest off from true Christianity. Jewish men rejecting God's Savior born in Bethlehem and these Gentile magi searching him out. This is what's incredible to me, that the this, this second that Jesus is born, from the second he arrives, he is already drawing all people to himself. He is drawing the nations to himself. He is drawing astronomers and astrologers to himself. He is drawing, in Luke, he is drawing shepherds to himself. God bypasses the elite. And God goes right to the broken. And God goes right to the needy. And God goes right to those rejected by society. God goes to the most unlikely and draws them to himself. The reason you and I are even saved is because God draw us to himself. From the second he arrives, he's draw- and Jesus is drawing people now. Jesus says in the Gospels that when we lift up the light of the world, he will draw all people unto himself. Because Jesus is the joy of all peoples. The Magi show us that, I mean, Christmas, if you feel too far off, Christmas is the display that you are not too far away for Christ to reach you. He can save you. And if you're a Christian, I just feel like we forget what the essence of Christianity is. Are you joyful because of Jesus? Are you joyful because of him? What he's done for you and who he is and who he will always be and who he will continue to be for you. The fact that we even know his name and that we can worship him and know him and love him is because we have walked in the footsteps of the Magi. And sometimes when we read the Bible, especially if you're white, evangelical, American, we read stories like this in the Bible, and we have to remember that we are the Gentiles. We are not the in crowd. We have this subtle tendency sometimes, especially us us white people. I'm half white, so I'm, I'm throwing myself in there. Half of me does this. We read stories, and there's Jews and there's Gentiles. We identify with the Jews more. We should not. We are not the Jews. We are those who are far off. We are the Gentiles. We are the ones who are the out crowd. And we are the ones who have been brought in and brought near because of the great grace of God. And the gospel of Matthew, the birth of Christ, is a missional endeavor. It starts out with magi, Gentiles, the nations coming to worship Jesus. And how does the gospel of Matthew end? 
it ends with Jesus ascending back up into heaven and saying, now you go make disciples of all nations. Now you go. See, the gospel of Matthew begins with a come and see. Come and see. Come and see. The nations are coming. The Magi are coming. The Gentiles are coming. But then it ends with a go and tell. That's a Christmas song too, right? Go and tell it on the mountain. Right? I mean, so this is Christianity. This is Christmas. And if we stay with a come and see mentality, which is how most of us operate in our lives, we won't be very evangelistic. We won't be very missional. We won't see many of our friends and family members come to Christ. But if we take on the go and tell, the end, how the Gospel of Matthew ends, that we will go to all nations, we will go to friends, we will go to family and tell them that Christ the Lord was born this day in the city of David, Christ the Lord. And you see what the Magi do? The Magi rejoice, what does the Bible say, verse 10, when they saw the star, and remember, these guys are astronomers, when they saw the star, they cataloged it. No. They went against their natural bent. Oh, we should write, we should study. No, they rejoiced. Christianity is an experience in rejoicing. If our Christianity is just a theological endeavor and then it's a full stop after that, we are cutting out the very heartbeat of the Christian spirit, rejoicing with great joy. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. This is the Christmas spirit. Even further, it's the Christian spirit. This is why we sing joy to the world. It's not just a theory. It's not just, oh, you know, that's kind of a neat thought. No, actual joy to the world in Christ. Joy for all ye nations. When we sang it. And so if we're saying joy to the world, we got to remember, oh yeah, I'm a part of the world. Do I have joy over Jesus? Do I know him? Do I enjoy him? Do I love him? And look at the, the quantity of joy. What does the Bible say? Exceedingly. Exceedingly. What, what was the quality of it? It was great. Not ho-hum. Not moderate joy. There is far too much moderate joy in Christian churches. It should be exceedingly great joy, over the top, above average, beyond the pale, almost awkward. A kind of joy as if God sent a comet to show you his Savior. The kind of joy as though God really met you in your sins, pulled you out of them, and gave you new life. The kind of joy that you're so secure in Christ that you love him, and though you stumble, you sin, and though you blow it at times, you are safe in his hands forever. The kind of joy that when you die, you too one day will raise again from the dead, and you will have everlasting life on a new earth with King Jesus. He is the joy of all people. So are you joyful because of Jesus? I feel this is all I want for our church. I just want you to see how amazing Jesus is and then just live accordingly. We're going to have different thoughts about end times. We're going to have different thoughts about the gifts. We're going to have different thoughts about other theologies. That's fine. But will we rejoice and enjoy Jesus together and then live accordingly together for his fame and his glory? So this Christmas... Like the Magi, are you looking for Christ the Lord? Are you looking to enjoy him? Are you looking to live for him? Are you looking to love him and to know him? When a man is trying to love his wife like Christ loves the church, are you looking for Jesus? 
When a wife is trying to respect and serve and love her husband, as the church does Christ, are you looking for Jesus? As you go out and you work these last couple weeks of the the year, are you going to work heartily, not as to men, but as unto the Lord? And as you seek to parent your kids and to raise them up, are you going to bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord? Is Jesus the center of your life? Do you know what you're looking for? May your answer be a vibrant, exceedingly with great joy, yes. And may you not rest until you know. May you not rest. May your heart be in turmoil until you know the peace that surpasses all understanding from the Prince of Peace, Christ our Lord. Merry Christmas. Let's pray.